0: Hello friends, welcome to the special Master's Edition of the Bacon Bets Podcast. Yes, it's Master's Week, I love it, the best week for any golf fan, especially any golf better out there. Uh, Really quick though, uh, because March Madness did did just finish up, Uh, obviously I'm going to get into the Masters, that's what this entire episode will be about, Uh, but just a quick recap of March Madness since that just finished. Uh, congratulations to Baylor, and anyone who, was, who bet on Baylor, obviously everyone thought, everyone knew it was Baylor and Gonzaga were the two best teams in the country for the majority of the season. I mean, there's a little bit of a stretch there where people thought it was Michigan, a tiny bit of a stretch there at the end of the regular season, people, people thought it was Illinois, but by and large, most people thought it was Gonzaga and Baylor, and then that's what we saw in the final, and uh, Baylor just completely ran away with it. Now, I will say one thing about that game. I don't think it's fair to just... Call Gonzaga overrated, uh, which I'm seeing a lot of people are saying, just they're coming to the automatic conclusion that, oh, Baylor is, is the much better team, Gonzaga was overrated, blah, blah, blah. I don't necessarily agree with that. Uh, I, I mean, Baylor in that game was clearly the better team. They played much better, but it, it's a one-game sample size. I mean, how many times do you see a college basketball a team will win by 20 and then the next game lose by 20? Uh, it's not really that rare uh Baylor played an a plus game uh they did the things that they had to do uh things that they kind of had an advantage in there they were the best three three-point shooting team in the country and then they shot the lights out from three uh they forcing turnovers was a big part of their success and they were able to force turnovers uh, and they just completely out rebounded Gonzaga now if those two teams play against each other 10 times I think it would be like it would end up 5-5 or maybe 6-4 one way or the other. So I I don't think it's fair to say Gonzaga was overrated and Baylor's just the much better team. That night, they certainly were the much better team. They had an A-plus game, and Gonzaga played like a B, maybe B-plus game. And uh, when you have two of the best teams in the country, the team that just shows up that night... Uh, is going to be the one that wins. Now they did look more athletic, but like I said, I don't know how much did Gonzaga uh, going to overtime against UCLA on Saturday night play into that. I, I I don't know. It's impossible to tell. But uh, I, a lot of people are just thinking, oh well, Baylor was the best team. Gonzaga was overrated. I think that's I think that's too much of a simplification of, of what we saw there. But Baylor definitely deserved to win. They were definitely the better team that night. Congratulations to them. Congratulations to anyone who bet on them. Uh, I finished cold. In March Madness and I was really good up until uh the final five I went 0-5 the last five games so I and the, I hit the two first Elite Eight games and then I lost the second two Elite Eight games and then I went 0-2 in the final four and then I lost the championship so uh but I still finished my final record for betting on every single March Madness game was 36-30 for plus 5.72 units Uh, the round of 64 was really good for me, especially with that Abilene Christian money line upset round of 32 was my best round. I went 11 for five in the round of 32. Um, but I just got a little cold down the stretch. But I mean, if, if you told me at the, at the start of the tournament with me betting on every single game, I'd walk away 36, 30 plus 572 units, I'd take that every time. So I'm happy with it. Um, I didn't have a great overall college basketball season. I saw some people were wondering what my total record was for the college basketball season. And I think I mentioned this on the podcast before, but I was keeping track. I stopped keeping track sometime in like late January. Uh, now, that's not me wanting to hide my record from people. Um To be honest, I was so bad in January and so cold, it literally got depressing to keep updating my record every day. So at one point, I just said, Screw it. I kind of wrote off the rest of the season and I just kind of went bet by bet. Um, I don't sell picks. I don't claim to be a professional better. So really, my record at the end of the day doesn't really matter. No one pays for these picks. Um, But it wasn't good. Uh, I would. If I were to guess, I would probably say I went down into March Madness, probably down maybe around 20 units. Uh, I got better as the season went on, uh, especially uh, like uh, at the end of the regular season in conference tournaments. I did very well, but I was so bad in January that it was it was just impossible to recover from that. So overall, uh, my worst college basketball season over the past handful of years. But I learned a few things. Um, I have a couple different strategies in my mind that that kind of worked a little bit better late in the season that I'll, that I'll implement more next season. And the next season, hopefully, we'll get rid of those home and homes. I hate or not home and homes, back to back games. I I just I hated handicapping those games in those mid major conferences uh, that play teams that play the same team twice in a row. I hated handicapping those. So hopefully, uh, we won't have those next college basketball season. But yeah, congratulations to Baylor. Congratulations to everyone who had. Um, a good tournament of betting there. Oh, the other thing I want to bring up with March Madness, the Odd Shark contest, the bet, the best bets over brackets, which was supposed to be the top handicappers on Twitter. Um, and there was what twenty of us? Five? No, four teams of four, so that's sixty. So sixteen of us, and I finished dead last. <laughs> tough, tough look for the guy who's supposed to be the college basketball guy with Odd Shark. Now, to be fair, I mean my overall record was thirty-six and thirty, but for that tournament, you picked, you had to make like uh, half as. Uh, half the amount of bets as there are games, so like in the in the first round round of sixty four we made uh which is thirty two games, you made sixteen bets, and then the next round you made eight bets. Um so I just did a really bad job of choosing which picks to uh to submit into the contest. And then one night, I think it was heading into the uh Elite eight, I think it was, or no, might have been no, it might have been heading into the maybe the round of thirty two. Yeah, I think it was after the round of 64, heading into the round of 32. I submitted my picks for that uh, drunk at 2 a.m., and some of them I didn't even, like, I don't know why I bet on them. Like, I was, I ended up betting the opposite side. So, no excuse, though. I finished last place. Tough luck. Tough luck. I, I did a bad job of p- picking what games to enter in the contest. But whatever. It is what it is. That's why the handicapping contests like that are... Kind of silly. For, well, I, I don't want to say silly. Luck plays a little bit more of a factor because of how small the sample size of picks are that you submit. But whatever. Um, Team Andrew when and that Sports Gambling Podcast guys tore it up. And they tore up the NFL Capper Cup as well. So shout out the Sports Gambling Podcast guys. Um... Yeah, they they uh, they, uh, they did it. I've never listened to their podcast, to be completely honest. I don't very listen to really any other sports betting podcast, but I'm sure they're great. The guys seem absolutely great guys. They've crushed both contests uh, that, that, that they've entered in with Oddshark. So uh, a lot of respect for those guys. Congrats to them. Anything else I need to talk about college basketball? Um, I don't think so. Anything happened this past weekend that I need to talk about? Any? Oh, I don't know. Anything exciting happened on Twitter? Any Twitter beefs? Hmm. I don't know. None really stick out. Was there any Saturday night any Twitter beefs that kind of blew up? Mm, nope can't think of any <laughs> all right let's <laughs> let's move into uh let's move into the uh, the masters here so I have fifteen bets locked in right now uh I have three thousand words worth of notes fifteen bets locked in uh some of you may have seen the article that was released in odd Shark today i, I gave my thoughts on a few golfers as well as uh, uh three picks that I have. Uh, but I'm going to go a lot more in-depth into the Masters. I'm going to talk about just about every single player at the top of the odds boards, as well as some other. I have prop bets, um, I have uh, to-miss-the-cut bets, and like I said, I have opinions about a ton of go- I have a ton of notes here in front of me, so uh, right before we get into that, be sure to subscribe if, you're not, if you haven't already. Oh, by the way, I didn't release an episode last week. I think last week was the first week uh, that I've missed since I started this podcast back in last August. Uh, but, I, I mean, I I was so swamped with March Madness stuff and the MLB season starting. Um, and all all the picks that I had for um, March Madness were out on guys and bets anyway. So, I didn't really have a ton to talk about. Uh, the PJ Tour tournament was the Valero Texas Open. It wasn't really anything significant. Uh, so, I was just too busy. I just didn't have time for it. So, uh, I apologize for that. Like I said, I'm pretty sure I think it's the first week of Miss since I started in August. But, uh, you knew that was going to happen eventually. But, we're back. Big Masters episode. I'm gonna start getting into some major league baseball probably next week, but I need to wait for a little bit. I went I've I think I made like four picks on opening day just for shits and giggles, and I think I'm I went 0 four. So <laughs> I need some stats to kind of base this off of instead of just random arbitrary things and stats that are a year old and stuff like that. So uh yeah subscribe to the podcast if you if you haven't already rate it if you have a couple seconds that helps us out a lot in the rankings review it uh if you have uh thirty more seconds that helps us out even more donation link is in the description if you're feeling generous if i've uh if you've enjoyed the free content if I've uh, helped you win any money in the past uh link is in the description for that maybe if you hit a big bet on Abilene Christian I think I already talked about Abilene Christian I think I've had recorded the podcast since then yeah I have so no sense diving into that um I don't really deserve to after going finishing the tournament 0 for 5 either. Anyways, but enough of that. It's Masters Week. Let's get into it. Let's get into the April 7th episode of the Bacon Bets Podcast. More bacon than the pan can handle. 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 Alright, let's get into it. Wow. Let's man. get into the Masters here. and I'm going to start off with my uh, my key stats as I always do, but the majority of this uh, is going to be me going through player by player, which is what I did for the Masters in November as well. With the, Usually for, for my golf breakdowns, I usually just give out... Uh, uh, my thoughts on the players that I'm betting on, but since uh, the Masters is so big, and I got I have so many people DMing me wanting uh, wanting my suggestions on like Masters pools and and uh, uh, different bets like that, uh, daily fantasy lineups, things like that. Uh, for the for the for the Masters, I like to go through player by player uh, and give my thoughts. so Then you can kind of use that information. Use use it how you will. Fade me uh, back. You can bet with me um there are some players I'm not necessarily betting on but guys that I like that maybe you can use in in some kind of master's pool or in a daily fantasy lineup uh obviously I'm not going to go through every single player in the tournament this would be a fucking eight hour long podcast Uh, but I go through all the way up to the guys that are at 40 to 1 and then I just talk and talk about some other ones uh lower than 40 to 1 that stick out to me as well but first of all uh, just a really quick course breakdown. I mean, I don't really have anything much to say because, I mean, it's Augusta National. Everyone knows Augusta National. Uh, one really interesting thing that sticks out as far as stats is the stat that's called Strokes Gained T to Green. Now, I don't normally give this stat as a key stat because it's kind of just overarching. I mean, it, it it literally looks at every single thing except for putting combined into one stat. So I like to get at least a little bit more specific with my stats uh, that I recommend. But the reason why I recommend looking at strokes gain T to green for the masters is eight of the last nine winners at the masters were in the top 10 in strokes gain T to green heading into the week. So, I mean, if you just look at top 20, top 10, maybe even top 20, you're going to have a pretty good idea. Probably of guys who are going to do well this week. And, I mean, eight of the last nine winners were in the top ten in this category heading into the week. So, if you look at the top ten, there's, I mean, if you go based on the history, there's a good chance the winner is in that top ten on the list. So, just really quick, I'll actually give you guys uh, the top ten players in strokes gain T to green heading into this week. Bryson DeChambeau's first. Uh, his odds are at 11 to 1. John Rahm, Colin Kawa, Will Zalatoris, who is at 100 to 1 to win the tournament. Uh, but he is fourth in strokes game tee to green. So that's a little nifty factoid that you want, might want to keep in the back of your mind. Uh, Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, obviously, Tony Finau, Keegan Bradley's eighth in strokes game T to green, but he's not in the master, so he's not in the field. Uh, Patrick Cantlay, and then Sergio Garcia. So if history repeats its, it, itself, the winner, there's a good chance the winner's going to be one of those, I guess, nine guys. DeChambeau, Ron Morikawa, Zelotorres, Thomas, Johnson, Finau, Cantlay, and Garcia. Uh, So that's a a neat little factoid uh, with strokes gained TD green. But the other key stats that I would recommend keeping an eye on for this tournament, ball striking and strokes gained approach to the green. So ball striking, if you don't already know, that stat is the combination of total driving and greens and regulation. And then strokes gain, approach to the green is another stat for approach play, obviously. Uh, but I t- instead of green, greens and regulations just whether or not you're on the green. Strokes gain, approach to green obviously takes into consideration how close you are to the pin. Uh, so, I mean, Augusta is known as um, a ball striker's course. The your, your approach play is the most important part of the Masters. So that's why kind I'm um, putting in ball striking and strokes gain approach to the green, despite them both being uh, uh, kind of approach categories. And then ball striking has the total driving uh, thrown in there as well, because, I mean, good driving always helps. Um, not the most important thing at Augusta, but obviously it certainly helps. You can't be bad off the tee and have success here, that's for sure. Uh, scrambling percentage is next one. Um, I mean, scoring, I, I doubt it's not going to be, it's not gonna be uh, 20 under like it was in November. Uh, you, you can't have bogeys. You can't give up too many strokes. So guys who are able to get up and down, who are able to save power when they don't get on the green regulation, that's going to be absolutely key. Now, just a quick note because I brought that up. Obviously, this is uh, the last version of the Masters was in November last year. It's actually now like the PGA Majors are actually back-to-back Masters. Uh, the last major was the Masters in November. and Now we're back to a normal schedule with the Masters being in April. Uh, side note, I missed the British Open. That was the one major we didn't get last year. I love the British Open. It's my second favorite major. I like it better than the U.S. Open. Uh, it has a lot more character, I think, than uh, than the U.S. Open. And then nobody really gives a shit about the PJ Championship. Um, but yeah, I missed the British Open. I'm excited to uh, see watch that again this summer. But in November at... The Masters. Augusta National was not the course that we're used to seeing. With it being in November, they had to kind of overseed things. The greens were extremely soft because not only were the conditions a little bit colder and they had to overseed a little bit, uh, but they got rain that week, which made conditions that were going to play soft even softer. Uh, So... Soft greens, guys were just able to stick it. The greens weren't fast. Putting was a lot easier in November. And and that's why you saw, I mean, the scoring record got absolutely smashed. 20-under, uh, I think, beat the best winning score by two strokes, which I think was Spieth and Woods, uh, w- who both shot 18-under. Dustin Johnson was 20-under. And just, uh, it was like the lowest average score at the Masters in history. Now, they claim that now that it's back in April, I'm hearing whispers that it is not personally, I mean just, I don't have any fucking close connections at Augusta, just from Twitter that Augusta is going to play uh, as hard as it has in in, in recent years. It's going to be back to uh, firm, very firm greens, fast putts. Uh, It's not even going to be close to as easy as it was in November. But uh, Phil Mickelson actually said the opposite. Well, not totally the opposite, uh, but Phil Mickelson, I, I wish I could find who tweeted the quote someone in golf media did. Um, but Phil Mickelson basically trashed Augusta for not being hard. He said that the, the greens, over the past 10 years, the greens are in the top 25% of the softest greens on tour, which goes completely against everyone's kind of assumption about Augusta. That's supposed to be what Augusta is so famous for, is uh, hard, firm, almost impossible greens. Phil said they haven't been hard in 10 years, uh, which is interesting. Phil would know he's been playing, competing at the Masters since like the mid-90s, early 90s, mid-90s, I think. So that that's interesting. When you look at the scoring over the past handful of years, outside of the year that I think Danny Willett won, when Jordan Spieth blew it, uh, it's been low scores. So I kind of, I it feels willing to be honest and kind of somewhat trash Augusta National a little bit there. I'm going to trust him. So I don't think it's going to be as easy scoring as it's going to be uh, as it was in November. Uh, but I'm going to I'm going to guess, and I'm going to get to this a little bit more once we get to prop bets here. I think the winning score is going to be around 13, 14, maybe even 15 under uh, this year. So keep an eye on that because, like I said, a ton of people in golf media are saying that Augusta looks absolutely treacherous this year. Uh, but Phil kind of come, came out and said the, said the opposite, said it hasn't been... Um, the greens haven't been as hard as what they're famously known for since, since uh, over a decade ago, which I thought was really interesting. But... Uh, and then, of course, strokes gain putting, by the way, going back to key stats. So the five key stats, strokes gained tee to green, ball striking, strokes gain approach to green, scrambling percentage, and strokes gain putting. Now, you might notice none of those are as specific as, a, as in some events. I get really down to the nitty-gritty. But that's kind of what Augusta National is all about. Yes, you have to have a good approach play. Yes, you have to be a good putter. But you really need to be good everywhere. I mean, that's why this is... Uh, the most famous major in the most famous tournament in all of golf. It's, it's a very difficult golf course. You can't be bad anywhere. So it kind of forces us to look at more overarching general stats instead of being able to key on some very specific ones. Now, I did throw a sixth key stat in here. I usually give out five, but another one you might want to look at is par five scoring. Uh, par fives very important at Augusta National. All the winners in past years have done very well in the par fives. The par fours are so hard to score on that you have to take advantage of the par fives to win. Uh, so taking a peek at par five uh, scoring average is uh, I would recommend that as well. Uh, so that's all I really have as far as a course preview here. So, like I said, what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna go through all the top guys, player by player. I'm gonna give you my thoughts on all of them. That way, you can take that information and put it towards you know whatever pool or contest you're entering. Or if you think I'm wrong, then go against me. Whatever. <laughs> but I have kind of dug deep in uh, all the top guys here, and I and I got uh, some thoughts on most of them. Um. Now, I will say, right before I get into it, because I'm about to go on a very long-winded rant about a bunch of players, if you only care about what my picks are, you don't care about the reason, you don't want to hear me rant, blah, 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 I don't really blame you, Uh, just check the description, I'll put in the timestamp when I recap my picks, and at the end of the podcast, I'll just quickly list all 15 bets uh, that I have locked in for right now. By the way, I'll have a 16th bet as well. It'll be a, a tournament matchup, which I'll give out on guys and bets on Thursday. So I'm going to have 16 bets before I even look at three-ball bets for Thursday. It's going to be hectic. Um, but let's start. I'm going in order of the odds list. So I'm going to start at the at, at the top of the odds list. I'm going to work my way through. When I get to a guy that I'm going to be betting on, I'll obviously say that. Uh, but let's start at the top, Dustin Johnson. He's the betting favorite. And by the way, I, I'm looking at Bovada for the odds, which is Bodog if you're uh, outside of the U.S. Uh, so those are the odds I'm referencing here. Dustin Johnson, betting favorite right now, 9-1 at Bovada. I don't like him at all, and I would not recommend betting on Dustin Johnson this week. He's 148th in strokes gained putting. That's a big concern in my opinion. I don't think you can win at the Masters being 148th in strokes gained putting. Now, he kind of got away with it in November because, like I said, the conditions were soft, and he's so good with his approach play that he was able to stick a lot of shots closer to the pin than what he normally could at Augusta. Uh, so I think it was a perfect storm. Well, not really. I mean, he's still, I mean, he's the number one golfer in the world. Um, but I think the kind of soft conditions gave him a bigger edge than what he would normally have at Augusta. And also another reason why I don't like him as a favorite. He's not in good form. Didn't advance from what was really the worst group in the match play tournament there a couple weeks ago. It's, he should be embarrassed that he didn't win that group. Fucking Bobby McIntyre, who I'm now a fan of because he's Scottish and he's a lefty. Um, is the only advance from that group. Dustin Johnson not winning that group is a big red flag. Uh, he's T48 at the Players Championship, T54 at the WGC Workday Championship. So, I mean, I get why he's the favorite. He's the number one golfer in the world, and he would just want this event five months ago. But if you kind of look at some more underlying things, there are red flags there. The putting is a concern. His recent form is a concern. Um, could he win? Absolutely. But with how stacked this field is and how much value there are in other guys, for him to be at 9-1, to not bettable in my opinion. And I may even fade him in some round-by-round bets and some three-ball bets. But we'll we'll see what I do there. But I will definitely not be betting on Dustin Johnson 9-1. And I wouldn't recommend you do either. Bryson DeChambeau is next on the odds list 11-1. Now, actually, I have like a little Bryson DeChambeau rant here. I have more notes about him because it's a very interesting case with Bryson DeChambeau. And I think I've figured him out. Because for the past year, a little bit over a year, ever since he kind of took on this new style of play where he's all bulked up and he hits the ball a quarter mile, I've been on the wrong end of betting on him. When I bet on him, he sucks. When I bet against him, he's awesome. But I think it's because I've been thinking about him the opposite way that I should be. So this does relate to the Masters, but this is kind of something I've realized over the past couple weeks. And now I just have the chance to, I want to rant about Bryson DeChambeau. So I, and I think it's a little bit of a unique take. So... The short version is I'm not betting on him at Augusta. I'm pretty sure I did bet on him in some capacity in the November version of the tournament, and he sucked. He was absolutely terrible. But the way I've been thinking about Bryson is that I thought like courses where you can use your length to your advantage, where you can cut off dog legs, where you can give yourself short shots into the greens that no one else are are, going to be able to reach, those are the courses where he'll excel. Courses where even if he does miss the fairway... The rough isn't so bad that he'll be that he'll suffer from it. He'll be so much further up than the rest of the field; it won't matter. Um, that's why, if you follow that theory, and he'd be theoretically be perfect for Augusta because they have a lot of the holes where he can cut off with his distance, where he'll be 50 yards further than everyone else. The rough isn't all that bad, so even if he misses the fairway on the long drives, it won't hurt him. But what I've realized now, or at least my theory, is that it should actually be the opposite. There's an aspect to his game that isn't really talked about anymore. Everyone's so focused on his driving distance and everyone's focused on that putting form that he has, that straight arm putting form. Some people think it should be illegal. It's not, so fair play to him. People forget Bryson DeChambeau, all of his irons and wedges are the same length, which was always the big story when he first came out on the scene, but now kind of the driving and the putting has kind of overtaken it. And I think some people forget about this. And I was watching, it was an event, and I forget which event it was. I think it was... A month or so ago maybe a little bit longer and uh, this was brought up with Roy McIlroy Roy McIlroy is doing a post round interview and he said something that that was very interesting something that I hadn't thought before and it kind of went unnoticed the comment did um, but like I said I thought it was fascinating and what he said is where DeChambeau's biggest advantages is, is actually out of deep rough and it's because his wedges are so much longer than everyone else's that he can get so much more speed on his swings with his wedges, which gives him a massive advantage hitting it out of deep rough. Other guys physically can't produce as much speed with their short wedges, so they struggle a lot more out of deep rough. Because uh, for those of you that aren't golfers, um, the shorter that your club is, like the shorter, like. Um, your driver is your longest club. Your three woods a little bit shorter, like a hybrid or a long irons, a little bit shorter. And then as you work your way down, nine, eight, seven, five, four, three, two, one down, well, not two, one, well, at, as you work your way the opposite way, I should say, three, five, six, seven, eight, nine wedges, your clubs get shorter. So when guys are, are hitting out of the rough uh, with their wedges, like a, a pitching wedge, sand wedge, lob wedge, those clubs are fairly short but with DeChambeau, those clubs are the same size as they're all what same size as what a 6 iron or a 7 iron I believe it's one of the two I think 6 I think all his clubs are the th- length of a 6 iron when you look at the physics of it because his wedges are length of a 6 iron and like I said might be 7 I might be one club off there he's able to generate more speed with it so he's able to hit out of those deep rough areas way better than anyone else so I used to avoid betting on Brace and Deschambeau at courses where there was deep rough, because I figured, oh, he hits it long, but he's not so accurate. He's going to get in the deep rough, and then it, the, the length is kind of null and void. It's actually the opposite. The courses where there's deep rough is actually where he has his advantages, and that's why last year at the US Open, which is at winged foot, that was the big thing about winged foot, was how deep and treacherous the rough is. It has legendary rough at winged foot. I did not bet on him at winged foot. I faded him at winged foot, and then he ran away with it. I think he was the only guy to be under par, and he won. And then I looked at Augusta, and I thought, well, the rough isn't that long, so he's not going to have an issue with it. So even if he misses the fairway in his long drives, he'll still be able to play well. And not, and not that he, he won't play well. He still has a very good chance. But the deep rough actually gives him an advantage on other players because of the, the length of his wedges. Augusta doesn't have a deep rough, so he doesn't have that advantage. So I need to start looking to bet on Bryson at those courses that, that are supposed to be have deep and treacherous rough like a U.S. Open. So my opinions change, on, and it makes sense because, like I said, when I've bet on DeChambeau, he's been bad. When I've bet against him, he's been good. So I have to flip my thinking about DeChambeau. So that was basically a long-winded way to say I'm not betting on him. <laughs> I'm not betting on him at, at Augusta. You think, oh, he can cut off these, these uh, dog legs and everything, but, uh, yeah, he's going to have shorter shots into the green, um, but he doesn't have that advantage in the rough because the rough at Augusta is really not all that bad. Uh, and he was terrible. He sucked there in November. He was terrible, terrible in November. So, I will not be betting on Bryson DeChambeau this week. Didn't he have like a ten or eleven in the first round or two at Augusta? I think it was in the first round. It was nuts. So, anyways, long winded rant, but I am not going not betting on Bryson DeChambeau uh, this weekend. Next, we got Justin Thomas eleven to one. Now a lot of people are on him. I got an email from Bet Online today that he is uh, he, Justin Thomas has received the most money. Uh, as far as bets go at the Masters, now that might change book to book, but that was the information that I actually got from Bet Online. Actually, let me bring up that email because it's kind of interesting. Uh, with Odd we we get some emails from Bovada and Bet Online just of some general uh, betting stats throughout the week, which is, I always find are pretty fascinating. So, top three most bet golfers at Bet Online as of uh, Tuesday evening: Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, and DeChambeau. Top three liabilities. For Bet Online, Kepka, Woodland, and Morikawa, and then top three props, and that doesn't really matter. Um. So Justin Thomas, arguably the most public uh, play this week. A lot. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to like Justin Thomas. He's improved every year at Augusta. If you look at his at his uh, recent performance at at Augusta, he's finished better every single year. And I think in 2020 is I think T eight. I think he's a great iron player. Uh, I mean, I bet on him to win the players and he won. So, I mean, I I don't dislike Justin Thomas here, but there's only so many guys I can bet on. (laughs) I mean, and this is going to be a common theme as I go through guys. There's guys I like where if you tell me you're betting on them, I don't have a good argument against it, but there are just other guys that I like better. Also, Justin Thomas's play at the match play kind of concerned me. I know match play is a different format, but still he, he didn't look great, um, but if you're going to bet on Justin Thomas, I wouldn't blame you one bit, but the main reason why I'm not is because there's one other guy at basically the same odds who I like quite a bit more and that's John Rahm. So John Rahm 12 to 1, he is my best bet. He's my favorite pick, he's my thoroughbred for for for, uh, for this tournament. He's my chalky pick. If you asked me, Ian, who is going to win the Masters, I would tell you John Rahm. If you read my article on Odd Shark today, you already know this. Um and he is a popular pick. This is not a, this is not a, a dark horse. It's not an under the radar pick. He is a popular pick this week. Um, but the stat that I brought up there earlier about the, uh, the eight of the last nine winners at the Masters have ranked in the top 10 in strokes gained T to green heading into the event. He's second in that category. DeChambeau is first. John Rahm second in strokes gained T to green. Also, he has the second best average strokes gained per round at Augusta in the entire field. So if you take everyone in the field who's competed at at Augusta before, which is basically everyone, and you take their average strokes gained per round on the field, John Rahm second. First, Jordan Spieth, plus 2.9. Obviously won the Masters in 2015, so he averages uh, 2.9 strokes gained on the field per round at Augusta National. Right behind him, John Rahm at plus 2.71. Then next, uh, if you're curious, next three guys, Phil Mickelson, obviously three-time winner you'd assume he's near the top but he's plus 2.31 justin rose plus 2.24 justin rose is all out of sorts don't bet on him and then dustin johnson is uh, fifth on the list plus 2.23 so um out of the top three guys that have the the best average strokes gained per round john rom is one of the two guys who hasn't won the masters the other one being justin rose so i mean those are two very good statistics to like john rom second strokes gain t to green second average strokes gain per round at augusta and he's also i mean it it makes sense when you look at his results because he's competed the masters four times in his career and he's finished in the top 10 in the last three so fourth in 2018 t9 at in 2019 and then t7 in 2020 last year he's also in great form as well Here's how John Rom has finished in the tournaments that he's played in since the Zozo championship, which was in October of last year. T2, T7, 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 T13, T5, T32, T9, T5. So in those nine events that he's competed in since October last year, and this doesn't count the match play, by the way, which he did advance to the group stage, uh, not uh, past the group stage. Um, So in seven of the nine events, he finished in the top 10 and the other two that he didn't finish in the top 10 was a T 13, which is just outside the top 10. And then his terrible performance this year was a T 32. His big outlier bad tournament was a T 32. So great form. He just doesn't have a win this year. Um, Also, he just had a kid, which is like an old adage in in golf betting. Uh, you, You want to bet on guys who just had kids and I mean, I'm I'm definitely not. That's not a main reason why I'm betting on him, but it kind of makes sense when you think about it. And you you guys know me. I don't like arbitrary stuff, stuff that you can't really measure. Um, but I mean, when you th- I mean, what's an advantage for a golfer mentally to kind of have their mind clear and not really worry about messing up, not really worry about winning? And after you have a kid, I mean, I I don't have a kid, so I I don't know. I'm just going off what other people say. Uh, their mind isn't really on winning. I don't want to say they don't care as much, but I think having a kid kind of would be at the front of your mind over um, winning a golf tournament. Now, once again, I don't have a kid. I can't speak to that. Maybe John Rahm's different, and the only thing he cares about in the world is winning the Masters. Now, you would think, oh, he wouldn't be as motivated because he doesn't really care. I would say it's actually an advantage. I would say that not caring about losing let's allows you to kind of swing a little bit more freely like i said it's an old golf adage uh this is not just my own opinion it's kind of a, a known thing in golf to to bet on guys right after they have a kid and i think it if it has to do with anything it has to do with swinging more freely and not really uh being too concerned about the result and i think that only helps you in golf uh especially for a guy like john rom who's kind of runs hot and a guy whose emotions have got the best of him in the past if he can kind of take that pressure on himself and put it to the back of his mind i think that'll do nothing but help him so a lot of things to like about john rom this week so he's he's my favorite pick my best pick i'm taking him to win at 12 to one uh his other odds top five top ten top 20 i think i mean top five at two to one i think that's that's a ripoff top 10 minus 110 to finish top 10 at a major minus 110 i don't like those odds at all so i'm just gonna ride on him to win at 12 to one. Uh, Jordan Speeth, twelve to one. I mean, great story. He dominated Augusta in the past. Like I said, he is the, he is the best average strokes gained per round at Augusta. Uh, he would be a fun guy to to watch win. He won last week, and I will say the Valero Texas Open was a very weak field. He was the betting favorite, so it wasn't kind of a big shock for him to win. Uh, I think he's overvalued at twelve to one, though. Uh, I think. I mean, I I, I loved that Jordan Speeth is back. I love classic Jordan Spieth. When he's on, there's very few golfers that are as fun to watch as him. But 12 to 1, I think that's at the Masters at, at you know a tournament that has this stacked of a field. I think that's a little ambitious. I think he more deserved to be around twenty to one, maybe twenty-five to one. I think twelve to one's a li- <laughs> kind of crazy. I think that's a little bit of an overreaction. So I, if you told me you're on speeth, I wouldn't argue against it too much. I mean, th- there are a lot of things to like about speeth, Obviously, great history at the course, fantastic form coming off a win. Uh, I think twelve to one's a little ambitious, though. I think I need to see a little bit more from Spieth uh, to bet on him at twelve to one uh, Rory McIlroy, 18 to one, kind of crazy to see Rory at this price. Um, and then not only see that him at this price, but not even think about taking him. Uh, but he's been playing the worst golf I think in his career and he's very vocal about it. And in my opinion, when a guy is admitting that his game is not in a good place, that's a massive red flag because that means not only is he not playing well, but he doesn't have any confidence either. If he knows he's not playing well, if he's admitting that he's not playing well, I mean, where's your confidence? And you need confidence to win a major. So you almost have to lie to yourself at some points. And he's he said he he tried to change his swing a little bit. He got the whole Bryson DeChambeau hitting it a quarter mile. He wanted to try to speed up his swing as well to match. And he said it kind of threw his swing all out of sorts. Um, and now he doesn't have any confidence. So I don't know if he needs to take a break. I don't know. I don't know. And he also says he's like not quite as motivated either, but maybe that'll change. I mean, this is a major after all. Uh, but he has missed the cut in two of his last five starts, which is just unheard of for Rory. So I'm placing him in the category of if he wins, I'll be happy enough that it, even though it means I lost my bets uh, because I would love to see him win. I'd love to see him get a, get the career grand slam, uh, but I can't trust him with his game, with where his game is at right now, especially with him being at 18 to one. So I'm out on Roy McRoy. Then we got Brooks Kepka, 22 to 1. Enticing price at 22 to 1, I'll be honest. But if you're gonna bet on Brooks Kepka, you're gonna run the risk of him having to withdraw due to his knee injury. So if you didn't know, Brooks has been battling a knee injury. I think it's the opposite knee than 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 what he used to have issues with. Um, he hasn't competed in the past few weeks. I think he withdrew from the last tournament that he competed at, but he did. He won the waste the waste management, I think it was, earlier this season, and he came like second or third in different tournaments. So when he does play, he has been playing well, which makes that 22-1 to price very, very enticing. And he's played very well at the Masters in the past as well. But if we're going to bet on him, there's a risk that his knee is too much for him to handle and he has to withdraw after a round or two, especially if he doesn't play well in the first round. He's probably just going to withdraw right away. So... If you're fine with that risk and you realize that risk is there and if you think he can play through it, 22 to 1 is a great price on Kepka. I'm not confident enough though cuz I we have no idea how how much that knee is actually bothering him. We have no idea. So, I'm not Brooks, I can't feel his knee. So I'm just going to go ahead and pass on Brooks Kepka 22 to 1. Patrick Cantley, 22 to 1. T9, T17 at the Masters the last two years, he checks a lot of boxes when it comes to stuff you look for in a Masters winner. I have no problem with anyone taking Cantley. I don't really have any counterpoints, but this is the same situation as my Thomas-Rom dilemma. There's another golfer that I like just a little bit more at the exact same price, and that guy is Xander Shoffley. Xander Shoffley. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> T2, T17 the last two years at the Masters, Xander is. So he was T17 with Cantlay in 2020, but he was T2 in 2019 when Tiger won. Uh, I mean, Xander and Cantlay are basically the same person. I mean, you choose one to bet on. They're, they're basically the same guy. So Xander is a, not quite as good at uh the approach play at the kind of strokes gain T to green, but he's a little bit of a better putter. So I kind of like that at, at Augusta. I think putting is fairly important. So he's 14th in strokes gained tee to green. Cantley's 8th. But Xander is ninth in strokes gained putting. Cantley's 50th. So if you're deciding between which of the two guys to bet on, who do you want to bet on? The guy who has a, who's a little bit better tee to green or the guy who's a little bit better putting? I'm going to back the guy who's a little bit better putting. Xander is also 6th. And par five scoring, 26th in strokes gain approach. His scrambling is kind of his one weakness, but he's still not bad. He's 64th in scrambling percentage. Also, I think we're getting a little bit better value on him because uh, he missed the cut at the players. Uh, but in 2021 season, Xander has finishes a fifth at the U.S. Open, and then he has a second, a T5, a T2, and a T2. So, I mean, he's played very well this season despite that one kind of hiccup at the players' championship. Um, now I realize, I, I bet on him, he fucked, what tournament did he fuck me in? Was it the waste management when, when Brooks ended up winning? Uh, and Xander just had to shoot like even power and he would have won the tournament in the final round and he'd shot like one over or two over. I think it was the waste management. So I think this is twice now that Xander has broken my heart on Sunday. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm ready to get my heart broken out, uh, uh, by him again. Uh, but this is what I labeled in the our Odd Shark article, article today. The best value pick. Like I said, I think if I think if he had a good showing at the Players, I think he'd be at like seventeen to 1, 18 to one. So twenty-two to one, I think that's great value. I'm gonna take him to win at twenty-two to one. I'm also gonna take him to finish in the top ten at plus one fifty. Next up, we got Colin Morikawa, the 2020 PJ Championship winner. Now there's one issue and one issue only. I've excuse me, one issue and one issue only that I have with Colin Morikawa, and that's his putting. 179th. On the PJ Tour in strokes gained putting, and I don't think you can win at Augusta with below average putting. I just don't think you can. Now, if you think he can keep it together with the putter, if you think he can have a good, weak putting, then bet on him, because he's damn near perfect everywhere else. Third in strokes gained, tee to green. First in strokes gained approach, so he's like literally the best iron player on the tour right now um i mean he's another guy i wouldn't say he's a bad bet but at at augusta national i don't think 179th in putting is going to cut it now he could just he could have figured something out these past couple weeks he could just have a good week putting and win that's very very possible and he, if he ever does become a good putter if he improves on that as his career goes on because he's still extremely young uh watch the fuck out because he is the best iron player on tour right now but 179th in strokes game putting he's like a young Hideki Matsuyama so I hope he figures that out at some point in his career I mean like I said he's still extremely young and he already has a major so you can't can't really shit on him too much but uh, I think putting's too important at Augusta go ahead on bet on bet on him if you like him I'm staying away though Patrick Reed 33 to 1 now I actually love Patrick Reed this week uh I love Patrick Reed as a bet this week I will always hate Patrick Reed as a person <laughs> uh it's fun to hate on him but I mean when you listen to uh, when you read the stories about him I mean he kind of seems like the king of the douchebags uh but I'm only not taking him because I just have too many other bets I mean I have 15 other bets if I took if I bet on every guy where I like oh I think he can win this week I would have 50,000 bets and then even if someone if one of them won I'd still be down money uh but if you if you're looking for a guy I mean Thirty-three to one—you can't argue with that. in Patrick Reed is a 2018 champion. I'm probably going to bet on him in some capacity in some three-ball bets. Um, also, I'd like to see what kind of form he's in once the tournament started because he hasn't looked great recently. He didn't look great at Match Play. He was cut from the Arnold Palmer Invitational, um, but he's the best putter on tour. If you want to bet on a good putter, bet on Patrick Reed. He's won it here before. Is mostly with his short game. Uh, when when his short game is on, his chipping and his putting. Uh, He can beat anyone in the world. He can win any tournament. So if you are a person who wants to bet on a good putter this week, bet on Patrick Reed. 33 to one's a great price on him, I think. I'm not going to do it though. Like I said, recent form concerns me a little bit and uh, I just have too many other bets. Tony Fina, also at 33 to one. He's actually had solid success at the Masters T10, T5, and two of his three starts. I'm not betting on the biggest choker in all of sports, though. Not a chance. Now, if you want to take Tony Finau, take him top five, take him top ten, I would not bet on him to win outright. Also, by the way, he's missed the cut in two straight tournaments, including last week's Valero Texas Open, which was a very weak field. Spieth was the favorite. Finau was right behind him. I think Spieth was 10-1. to I think Finau was 12-1. to Finau missed the cut. So recent form, very concerning about Tony Finau. And what the biggest choker in professional sports, all of a sudden going to get clutched during the biggest tournament, uh, in the sport. No, not going to happen. So I'm out on Tony Finau and Victor Hovland, Victor Hovland. I want to see Victor Hovland win. Just so those, uh, Norwegian announcers get to announce it. Cause I don't know if you guys that listen to the clips of when the two wins Victor Hovland has, uh, when he hits the winning putt, the Norwegian announcers just go absolutely ballistic. And it's, it's amazing. Um, obviously he's the pride of Norway. Um, Only Norwegian ever went on tour and he has two wins now. Um, But he's kind of like, he's like a, he's kind of similar to Colin Morikawa. He's like, if you took Colin Morikawa and you took a few points away from his approach play and then put them into putting. So he's slightly better or he's slightly worse at uh, strokes gained 11th in strokes gained tee to green compared to Morikawa, whatever he was second, but he's 90th in strokes gained putting. So still not a good putter. That's still his weak point, but better at putting than Morikawa, but Morikawa is better with approach play kind of makes sense that you have similar odds slightly worse hovland I, I don't really have much to say about him he's competed here once as an amateur he's a top amateur i think or low amateur i guess they call it he was like t33 or something like that didn't compete last year in it i i would like to see a better price on hovland i think 33 to 1 is too short uh next up we got cameron smith afforded one now there's there's a handful of guys at 40 to 1 that are all very very interesting um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm going to go through them in detail here, but Cameron Smith, Sung J. M., Webb Simpson, and Daniel Berger, all at 40 to one. I think those might be the best bets on the board as far as getting a guy that's a little bit down on the odds list. 40 to one, man, for for any of these guys. So let's start with Cameron Smith. Very, very interesting play. I've seen a few smart golf bettors who I respect are on Cameron Smith this week, and for good reason great form recently he has a fourth at t11 t17 in his last three starts so all top three finishes or uh, top 20 finishes he finished t5 here in 2018 t2 here last november so his two top five finishes already at the masters he's tied for first in power five scoring he's tied for 19th in putting uh he lacks a little bit with his ball striking um He's not the best ball striker in the world, but he makes up for it with his putting and he has a great track record here. So I, I can't hate anyone who's on Cameron Smith. It's a very good bet, but I run into the same situation like I ran into with John Rahm and Justin Thomas. And just like I ran into with Xander and Cantley, there's just someone else at 40 to one that I like a little bit more. And that man is Sung j m. This is the one that I tweeted about on Monday night uh, that I said was my first bet locked in and that one of my followers would like it. Uh, shout out to that guy. I, I don't remember his username, but he has uh, his avatar is a Photoshop of Sung jae uh having the green jacket put on him by Tiger Woods, which I don't know why I find it so funny, but I, I find it fucking hilarious. Every time that guy replies to one of my my tweets, I chuckle at, at, at his profile picture. I, maybe it's just because I think Sung J M is just a random golfer to, <laughs> for someone to be like a fanboy of. I love Sung J M, but it's just I don't know. I, I chuckle every time I see that Photoshop. I think he has a good chance though. He's my other pick. He's my third pick to win. I'm taking him at forty to one. Uh, he's slowly gotten better in the in the past few weeks leading up to the Masters, which is always a good sign. So his last four starts, he went T twenty eight, T twenty one, T seventeen, T eight. So an improvement every single week, trending in the right direction. Um, I mean, if it looks like math, if it's one of those math problems from when you're in second grade and they're like, here are four numbers, what would be the logical conclusion? What would be the fifth number? Well, T28, T21, T17, T8. Sounds like a one to me. Let's go, baby. 40 to one. I would be ecstatic if he pulls it off. Uh, T13 and ball striking, fantastic ball striker. He's 30th also in strokes gained putting, which has been a little bit of a weakness of his in the past, but he's, Putted a lot better this season, 30th in strokes gained putting. Um, so I'm going to take him to win. I'm going to take him to win at 40 to 1. I'm also going to take him to finish in the top 20 at minus 110. Uh, Webb Simpson, another 40 to 1 guy, another very interesting guy at 40 to 1. Um, he just does everything so well. Second scrambling, 13th in putting, 10th in par 5 scoring, and T16 in ball striking. Now his iron play has not been quite as good this season as it has been in past years, which is why I think like he hasn't won yet this year. Um, and which is why I'm staying away from him. He's 85th in strokes gained approach. So that's a little bit of a concern for me. Um, but even though, I mean, I'm not on him. I still think he's a fantastic play at 40 to one. Um, he does have, he, he, he finished T five, T T five here in 2019 T 10 last year, in November. So he's played well recently at Augusta. He's so good in everywhere else. that even though he's not a, a top tier ball striker so far this year, um, he can get it done. Uh, what did I say? Tenth in power five scoring, thirteenth in putting, second scrambling. We gotta think Webb Simpson has value there. But I just like I keep saying, I can't bet on everyone. I can't bet on everyone that I like. I had to narrow down. I like Sung I'm a little bit better at forty to one. So, but if you wanna, if you like Webb a little bit better, please go ahead and bet on bet bet on him and best of luck. And then the other forty to one guy uh, that I was looking at here. Daniel Berger. Now, I have a soft spot for Berger because he won the first event uh, coming out of the COVID break last year. I'll always remember that. I, I bet on him to win outright. That was one of my favorite uh, bets that I've ever hit. Um, he ranks near the top in almost every single stat. He already has a win in 2021. Uh, his one downside that might be, he hasn't played at the Masters since 2018. Because uh, if, I mean, if you're not a longtime golf fan, Daniel Berger was a very good golfer a handful of years ago. What was it, five years ago? six years ago and then he kind of fell off a cliff and then he had this recent resurgence so he hasn't competed at the matches since 2018 but he did have a t10 finish here in 2016 i do like burger a lot he's a guy where if he looks good on thursday if he looks good out of the gates i may place a live bet on him um but i have too many other bets but i mean like like i keep saying man if you're looking for uh, uh, like uh, someone who's down a little bit on on the odds board, I think these forty to one guys: Cameron Smith, Sungjae Im, Webb Simpson, Daniel Berger. I don't think you can go wrong with any of those guys. I really don't. Uh, so that's it for as far as uh, looking through kind of the top guys in the odds list. There are other guys that I wanted to bring up on the odds list that I will give very quick thoughts on. Hideki Matsuyama, fifty to one. Do not bet on him. He can't sink a putt to save his life, and you're not going to win at Augusta not being able to putt. Matt Fitzpatrick at 50-1 to, 50 to 1 is very interesting. Four straight top 10 finishes, uh, but he hasn't exactly performed well at Augusta recently. He did have a T7 finish here in 2016, but the past handful of years he makes a cut, but he's like in the 20s and the 30s, so... Uh, but 50 to one's an interesting price on him. Garcia, Sergio Garcia, 50 to one. Another interesting, he is getting older, but he's, I mean, he's in good form. 10th in strokes gained tee to green this season. So he's in that magical top 10 of that magical stat. Uh, he's won here in the past. So he is interesting. Um, and then I'm just going to bring up the odds list and talk about some other guys here. And then I'm going to get into, uh, my prop bets. Uh, two other guys that were, are they 50 to one or 55 to one? 50 to 1. Tommy Fleetwood and Terrell Hatton. I mean, they're both head cases for kind of opposite reasons. Tommy Fleetwood, well, not opposite reasons, but different reasons. Tommy Fleetwood is like the English Tony Fee now. He's a, one of the biggest chokers on tour. So I can't bet on him to win here. Terrell Hatton is a head case in the sense that if he hits a bad shot, he gets too pissed at himself and his game kind of falls apart. Not a good recipe for Augusta. But if I were to choose between the two, Trey. Terrell Hatton at 50. If I choose a 50 to 1 guy, I'd probably go Matt Fitzpatrick. And then after that, Terrell Hatton. But I mean, a couple interesting options there are 50 to 1 as well. Adam Scott hasn't played enough recently, hasn't played well enough recently. Bubba Watson, 66 to 1. He's won it twice. He's a lefty. He knows how to play this course. Hard to argue too much. Jason Day, I don't think he's played enough. I don't think he's good in good enough form. Joaquin Neiman is a little bit of an interesting play at 66 to 1. Uh, great approach play player. Uh, what's he ranking here in putting? Joaquin Neiman ranks 37th in strokes gained putting. So, I mean, now we're getting kind of into the, the long shot, guys. 66 to 1 to Joaquin Neiman. I don't hate that. That might be like a, a daily fantasy lineup kind of guy. If you're doing one of those pools where it's like groups um, and you have to pick one p- person from each group, Neiman might be a guy in his group, depending on who he's paired with, that you might want to look at. Corey Connors, 80 to 1, the Canadian. Out of respect for my Canadian brethren, I am gonna take him top twenty at plus one ninety. Twelfth in strokes gain T D Green heading into this week, so just outside that magical top ten. T10 here last year. Um and heading into this uh this event, he's finished third, seventh and T fourteen. So if you're looking for a long shot, Corey Connors 80 to 1, not a bad call. I'm gonna take him to finish in the top 20 at plus one ninety. The other long shot that I that I or the long shot that I wrote about in my article today, if you didn't read that, is Brian Harmon um now i'm not betting on him to win he's 100 to 1 to win i'm not going to bet on him to win i put him in as a long shot i'm taking him to finish in the top 20 at plus 200 he finished third at the players championship which was basically the unofficial fifth major so if he can finish third at the players he can finish high at, at, at the masters also a thing about brian harman is he's a lefty uh, for those of you who don't know and i don't think i've mentioned it yet People say that Augusta National favors left-handed golfers. The reason why is because there are a lot of dog legs. And if you don't know what a dog leg is, it's uh, a hole that kind of has like a corner on it. Uh, Like it goes straight for a little bit and then it diverts off into an angle like the shape of a dog leg. Um, And a lot of the dog legs at Augusta National go from right to left. So usually, I don't want to say the majority of the time, but I would definitely say over half the time, dog legs are usually left to right. Um, so usually if you want to shape your shot, if you're not just going to hit it up above the trees and try to cut it off like someone like DeChambeau or Dustin Johnson will, what you want to do for a left to right dog leg, if you're a right-handed golfer, is hit a fade. Now a fade is where the ball will start straight and slowly leak away from you. So if you are... A right-handed golfer, the ball will slowly leak to the right. Now what a draw is, is for it to leak towards you. So if you're a right-handed golfer, it's coming back towards the left. Now a fade is a lot easier of a shot to hit than a draw. So because Augusta National has a handful of right-to-left dog legs, those holes favor left-handed golfers because they hit a fade. Because they're a left-handed golfer, they're standing on the right side of the ball, so they hit it and it leaks off to the left. Now, right-handed golfers have to hit a draw on those right-to-left dog legs. So, a draw, like I said, is tougher to hit than a fade. Fades, and you can really fade a ball and and really shape it. Uh, I mean, that's why Bubba Watson has had had his success. He's one of the best ball shapers on tour, and he's a lefty. So, that's why uh, he competes very well at Augusta National. And when you go back to, dating back to 2003, a left-hander has won this event six times. Uh, Shout out Mike Weir in 2003, the only Canadian to ever win a major. Um, First golf tournament I ever watched, actually. Um, I didn't watch the whole thing, I watched the final round because I knew he was in contention, and it was a big deal in Canada. So he was a lefty. Phil Mickelson's won it three times, he's a lefty. And then Bubba Watson has won it twice, he's a lefty. Um, There are five lefties in the field this week. Those three guys I just mentioned, shout out Mike Weir again. Um, And the other two are Brian Harmon. I'm taking him to finish top 20 at plus 200 because he's played well third of the players so a lot of things to like about him uh, the other one's Robert McIntyre this the, the Scotsman um, but I like Brian Harman a little bit more I think he's played better recently so I'm gonna take him to finish in the top 20 at plus 200 if you want to get crazy uh, he's 100 to one to win uh, the last guy to win with a hundred or one or longer odds I believe was Charles Schwartzel, who I think was 150 to one I think Uh, back in 2011 if memory serves correct Uh, and the other top 20 bet I'm taking is Max Homa plus 190 to finish in the top 20 and I mentioned this back uh, when he won the Genesis Invitational which was a very impressive win against a very very stacked field mind you Um, now Riviera is a California uh, course so he he did he does have a little bit more experience on it but when you ask People who know golf courses and they say what course on the PJ Tour schedule is most similar to Augusta National? I think a lot of people would say Riviera. So if Max Homa competed well there, I think he can play well at Augusta National. Um, and he's just—I mean, generally he's just played well recently. He's—he's—he's he's, he's having a very good season. He won the Genesis Invitational. was a very tough tournament to win, and he won it. So I like him to finish in the top twenty here at the, at the Masters. A plus one ninety. I think that's a great price on him to do that. Um. Let's see. Any other names here? Abraham answer one hundred to one's kind of. I mean, Billy Horschel just won the match play and he's one hundred to one. I won't be betting on him though, but eh, good form. Uh, Kuchar one hundred to one. He was kind of impressive at ma- match play, but uh, hasn't had a good season all around. Justin Rose is injured and has a lot of things wrong. No, no. Matt Wallace had a very good week last week at Valero Texas Open. He might be worth a look at like top twenty or something like that. Gary Woodland one hundred and twenty five to one. That seems long for Gary Woodland. That's kinda of interesting. I didn't notice it, that his odds were that long. Um, but yeah, there's no nobody really else that I uh showed up. Mackenzie Hughes 250 to one. Second of third of uh the three Canadians competing this week, with the last one being Mike Weir. Um can they stop allowing Sandy Lyle to compete in the Masters, please? Is he taking someone's spot? If he's taking someone's spot, I don't know I don't know how, how it works. I don't know if, if uh, former Masters champions that come back, all these old guys. I don't know if they're like a separate pool of guys who get invited or if they're taking up someone else's spot. If they're taking up someone else's spot, someone needs to tell Sandy Lyle to fucking stop. How old is Sandy? <laughs> fucking poor Sandy Lyle. He's hilarious. He's out there in November and he had like uh, the suspenders on and everything. He's 63 years old, dude. Stop. <laughs> stop stop showing up especially while it, if he's not taking up someone else's spot then i don't give a shit but if he's taking someone else's spot stop same with fred couples stop larry mize stop <laughs> ian woosnam the welshman stop it's always worth a chuckle watching those old guys play the, the first couple rounds uh oh my god we're already up to an hour Holy shit, I've been ranting and ranting and ranting and I'm not even to the prop bets yet. Alright, let's get into the props. Holy shit. <laughs> I guess I can just talk for a long time about the Masters um, without without, <laughs> without any breaks. That's, that's tough. Alright, let, uh, let's get to the props here and then we'll wrap things up. And the props will be pretty quick. Okay, so we'll start off with two guys I'm betting on to miss the cut. I'm taking Francesco Molinari to miss the cut. He has not been himself ever since he choked away the 2019 Masters. He looked like he was kind of back there for a little bit earlier this season, but then he looked terrible in this past couple tournaments and missed the cut in both of them. Um, I bet on him in one, and then he shot, he was like eight over when he missed the cut. So he, he's been terrible. He's going to be, uh, in the words, words of Sam Darnold, he's going to be seeing ghosts. Uh, of his absolute collapse in 2019, this week I'm gonna take him to miss the cut at plus 110. Also, gonna take Matthew Wolf to miss the cut at plus 150. Shout out to the guy on Twitter who's obsessed with betting on Matthew Wolf. Uh, I want to actually give him a shout out here because I think um, at losing golf bets, Power Fade. Um, he is a golf better. He's not a um, he's not a uh, tout, which I respect. He doesn't sell his picks. Um, but he puts out his picks put puts his reasoning behind them and i, I think he's a good uh, uh follow it if you're a golf better so shout out that guy he's obsessed with betting on matthew wolf i think he's finally stopped betting on him the past couple of weeks um but matthew wolf's been all out of sorts he actually looked decent at match play he looked decent there um but he's he's apparently having some mental issues and and his game's all out of sorts and I think he's losing confidence in that little hitch swing that he has. So I'm going to take him to miss the cut at plus 150 as well. So Molinari missed the cut at plus 110. Wolf to miss the cut at plus 150. Will there be a hole-in-one? Yes, at minus 175. And going back to this bet, almost out of spite. Uh, So if those of you didn't listen in November, I was all about this bet. I think I might have called it the lock of the tournament because of the pin placement that they have on 16 on Sunday is... There, I don't think there's a, a hole on the PJ Tour schedule that's more hole-in-one-able. in Hole-in, hole inable wonnable <laughs> than uh, the 16 at Augusta on Sunday with the pin placement. Like the whole green funnels down right into it. Almost every year you have at least one hole and one on Sunday in that hole. Uh, and then in November, like Saturday night, they're like, yeah, we're not going to use that pin placement on Sunday <laughs> this year. What the fuck? That completely fucked me because like my whole bet was based on uh, the pin placement on Sunday in 16 and then like last second they they're like, no, nah, we're not going to use that pin placement. And they've used that pin placement every year for as, long, as far back as I remember. Um, I tweeted out, I asked people in, in golf media if they know what the Sunday pin placement is going to be for 16 and uh, one guy responded, shout out to him, and he said he thinks that they're going to go back to that pin placement. So uh, I hope they do. If not, this bet is terrible. If you think they're going to use that pin placement, Yes, minus 175 for for there to be a hole a hole in one is a great bet. So I'm on it. Out of spite, uh, top senior. This is an interesting bet. Top old fella. Uh, so I think these are the guys who are what 50 plus guys who qualify to be on the champion store. Um, I actually like this bet quite a bit. I'm taking Bernard Bernard Langer at plus 400. So obviously Phil Mickelson is the favorite in this group. He's at minus 125, but I don't think anyone else. In this group, even has a chance to win this bet, so I'll, I'll list off the guys here: Phil Mickelson minus one twenty-five, then Bernard Langer plus four hundred, Fred Couples plus five fifty, Mike Weir seven to one, vj Singh twelve to one, Larry Mize thirty-three to one, and then the bombs: Jose Maria Olazabal forty to one, Sandy Lyle fifty to one, Ian Woosnam sixty-six to one. Fred Couples is. I don't really know why he's. Th- I think Mike Weir should be third on the odds list there. But I mean Bernard Bernard Langer. First of all, tears up the Champions Tour, and he made the cut in last in the in the November version of the Masters like five months ago. He finished like t twenty three. So Phil Mickelson should certainly win the bet. I mean he's deserving of being the favorite. But if he stumbles at all, and he Phil certainly has in recent history. Uh, I think Bernard Langer is easily the bet to make. It. I don't think anyone else in 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 that group can do it. And he, like I said, he just he beat Phil five months ago at the Masters. So four to one, I think that is fantastic value on that bet. So top senior Bernard Langer, plus four hundred. A um, couple other interesting ones, and like I said, these are all at Bovada. Uh, Webb Simpson to have a bogey free round. So I'm not betting on Webb to win or top ten, top twenty, but I have a bet on him to have a bogey free round. It can be any of the four rounds. Him to have a bogey free round at plus 400, another 4 to 1 bet. So it's very simple. The reason why I'm on this bet is he's second on the PJ Tour and bogey average. The average is just 1.87 bogeys per round, which is the second lowest on the PJ Tour. What was the first? I think it was a guy that I don't think is competing. It's like Stuart Sink or someone. So I'm just going to bring it up because you're probably thinking. Uh, so this is in bogey average. PJ tour stats and my internet wants to be slow of course because I'm recording a podcast and I and I would ideally not like to have any dead air so uh, I click bogey average and now my internet's going to be as slow as it has been all day which is just fucking perfect still loading why does this happen I haven't had a page load this slow in three months and now I'm having a time sensitive while recording a podcast and my internet shits the bed what the fuck is going on? Here it is. Finally. Jesus, Russell Henley is for some reason has the, has the fewest uh, bogeys on, on tour. Is he even in this event? I don't think so. No. So Webb Simpson four to one. I think that's a great price for the guy who's uh, the second best. Uh, well in the field, he has the, uh, he has the lowest bogey average um <laughs> unbelievable lowest round score i'm going under 65 and a half minus 130 i think someone's going to so that would be so under so 65 uh, 65 would be seven under so someone just has to shoot seven under minus 130 i think someone's going to go extremely low one of their rounds um i i don't like i said at the top of the podcast i'm not 100% sure if i'm sold that gust is going to be as treacherous as people are saying i'm going to tend to believe phil who says that the greens haven't been firm uh, in 10 years. And if they're soft greens, someone's going to shoot at least 7-under. So I love that bet. And my final prop bet, and someone asked me on Twitter, they wanted my whale pick of the tournament. This is it. This is my best bet of the tournament. If you're looking for a minus 110 bet, this is my best bet. This is what I think this is a uh, as close to a lock at a minus 110 number that you can get Obviously, gamble responsibly. Don't just take my advice and put way more money than you're comfortable on. But I love this bet. It's at Bovada, at Bodog. Winning score. So the final full tournament winning score under 278 and a half. Now under 270, so that would mean it would have to be at least 10 under, I think. Let me double check the math on that. So 72 times 4 is 288. So 278, it would, yeah, so 10 under would have to be the winning score. That seems like an absolute no-brainer. Four of the last six were under this, which kind of proves Phil's theory right. So I'm kind of back in Phil on this one. If Phil is right and that the greens aren't as soft as they used to be a decade ago, I think this will be. I think this will easily win. Like I said, I think the winning score is gonna be around 14 under. I don't think it's gonna be as crazy as this past November, where the winning score was 20 under. Um, but let's go back. So 20 under November. Tiger Woods in 2019 was 13-under. Patrick Reed, 15-under. Sergio Garcia was 9-under, so he would have missed this bet by 1. Danny Willett, 5-under. But then we're back to 18-under for Jordan Spieth in 2015. Uh, 8-under for Bubba Watson in 2014, so that would have missed by 2. Adam Scott in 2013, 9-under. That would have missed by 2. And then the 4 before that, 10-under, 14-under, 16-under, and 12-under. So dating back to 2009 when Angel Cabrera won. uh, 1, 2, 3, 4... Five, six, seven. One, two, three, four. Seven and four over the last nine years. I think that, and so if you take out the November one, that'd be six out of four over the last 10 April Masters. So that's a 60% hit. I believe in Phil saying that uh, the Greens are softer than they were over a decade ago, which is where you're seeing a lot more of those higher scores win. Um, so under under one, under 278.5 at minus 110, which would be the winning score, would have to be double digits. It would have to be 10 under or better. That is my whale play lock of the millennium. Not actually lock of the millennium because it's sports. Anything can happen. Weird things happen. Who knows what will happen? But this is my lock. Winning score under 278.5. Let's end on that note. This podcast has gone on way longer than I thought it would uh, I didn't think I could ramble about uh, a golf tournament for an hour, but here we are. I don't have anything else to add. Best of luck. I mean, I've, oh, I'll, I got to recap my picks. Sorry. So if those of you didn't want to listen to me ramble for an hour, I will now recap <laughs> recap all 15 bets. Here we go. John Rahm to win, 12 to 1. Xander Shoffley to win, 22 to 1. Xander Shoffley to finish in the top 10, plus 150. Sung Jae Im, the South Korean, to win, 40-1. to Sung Jae Im to finish in the top 20, minus 110. Brian Harmon, top 20, plus 200. Max Homa, top 20, plus 190. Corey Connors, top 20, plus 190. I'm now going on to the props. Francesco Malinari to miss the cut, plus 110. Shout out Francesco Greco. Matthew Wolf to miss the cut, plus 150. Will there be a hole-in-one? Yes, minus 175. Top senior, Bernard Langer, plus 400. Webb Simpson to have a bogey-free round, plus 400. Lowest round score, under 65.5, minus 130. Winning score for the full tournament, under 278.5, minus 110. That's 15 bets, isn't it? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Eight, nine, ten, and then the five outrights. Yep. And then I will have a 16th bet on Thursday or on Wednesday on guys and bets. I'll probably uh, find out my best, my favorite tournament matchup and bet that. So I will have 16 bets and then keep an eye on my Twitter timeline. I'll tweet out some three ball bets for the first round. So heading into Thursday, I'm probably going to have 20 bets locked in if I do four three ball bets. So saddle up. It's going to be a ride. Love Masters Week. It's fantastic can't wait i have nothing else to say subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already please do that please rate it if you have a couple seconds review it if you have a couple more seconds donation link is in the description if you feel like donating through paypal if you've enjoyed the free content if i've ever helped you win some money that option is there for you as well that's all i got for you is enjoy the masters best of luck with your bets i love you all and i'll talk to you all next week save big on brunch for mom all in the kroger app